There's a city that looks o'er the valley of death, and the glory has never been told. Where the Lamb is the light in the midst of the night, in that beautiful city of cold. Where the sun never sets, and the leaves never fade. And the righteous forever will shine like the stars In that beautiful city of gold There will be no more sorrow, pain, sickness, or death And the saints, they will never grow old How I long for that city where there comes no night In that beautiful city of gold where the sun never sets and the leaves never fade and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold where the sun never sets and the leaves never fade and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. In that beautiful city of gold. I like when they move a little bit sometimes. That's good. A beautiful city of gold. Amen? <clears throat> well, I don't know. You might remember this, but I'm going to share it anyway. It's a real important story. But I <clears throat> heard about an old preacher, a very old preacher, and he was, uh, he was going to expire. He was going to actually graduate to heaven. And he sent a, me a message, and he, he asked for his banker and his lawyer, both church members, of course, to come to his home. When they arrived, uh, they were ushered quickly on up into his bedroom where he was laying there uh, just taking some final breaths before he entered glory. And as they entered the room, the preacher held out his hands and he motioned for them to sit on each side of the bed. And the preacher, he took their hands and he sighed contently. He smiled and he just kind of stared at the ceiling. And for a time, nobody said a word. Nobody said anything, as a matter of fact. And both the banker and the lawyer, they were obviously touched. They were flattered that the preacher would ask them to be with him on their final, his final moments, the final moments on earth. And they were also a little puzzled as well. They, they knew the preacher had never really given them really any indication that he particularly cared for them, that he liked them, either one of them, really, that awfully much. And they both remember his very long and very uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetousness and uh, various behavior. And it made them squirm in their seats a lot of times during the services. And finally the banker spoke up and he said, Hey, preacher, he said, you know, why did you ask us to come? And that old preacher, he just kind of kept his eyes focused on the ceiling and he just mustered up enough strength. He said, Jesus died between two thieves and that's how I want to go. <laughs> oh, Jesus died between two thieves and that's how I want to go, he said. I, well, anyway, I, I would hope that we have no thieves among our church members, but nonetheless... The, the poor preacher, he wanted to go the way Jesus did, I guess. I don't know. 
All right, someone says, that wasn't a very nice joke. Well, find me better ones, I'll tell them. I don't find too many good ones these days, you know, I'm trying to find them, I'm working on it. But uh, today, in, in uh, our singles class, I, I didn't even tell jokes, I, I gave them pickup lines. <coughs> Absolutely. These guys, I told them, I said, look around you ladies, look at the guys in our class, don't they need some help? They all agreed, and so I gave a few pickup lines for the guys, okay? Anyway, we had a good time with that, and that's always fun. There's some good ones, right? Jake, Jake took a few notes. He took a few notes. John had used a few of them already. <clears throat> All right. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. You'd be crazy to think these young people don't want to find somebody and get married. You'd be nuts. I mean, I did. I wanted to. I need all the help I could get, that's for sure. As they say, I married up, right? And all the rest of you guys, don't look at me like that. You did too. <clears throat> all right, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 today. Take just a few moments today and consider the Word of God. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. <clears throat> there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him. And embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. They brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. Father, we come to you today, and we ask, Lord, in the next few moments as we consider this passage, as we consider a thought that, Father, you would have me to share, I pray, dear God, that you just work in our hearts and lives. May we be very careful. Father, to heed the thought that we're going to consider. Father, I pray, dear God, that you would just uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know in myself I have nothing to offer. But I do beg you, Father, to speak in and through me. Father, may you prepare every listening ear. May we hear from heaven. May we hear you. May we not allow life and its distractions to keep, keep us from gleaning what you'd have us to glean from this book, this passage. Now, Father, we need you. We commit the service into your care and ask, Lord, that you would just do a mighty work in our lives. May you manifest yourself real on our behalf. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In the passage, the church is meeting. And the church <clears throat> met on the first day of the week at this point. We know that in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day was the sixth day. Or the, excuse me, the seventh day. And we know that it was the final day of the week. It was their day to, to, to meet. It was on a Saturday. And um, these were meeting now on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 tells us that they brought their gifts the same day, which was the first day of the week. And Paul is preparing to leave now. He's met with the people of God. He's shared with them. He's preached to them. And in this case, he's preached a couple of days because now it's after midnight. But... 
He's preparing to leave. He's preparing to go to another place. He'd been traveling to a number of different cities and he'd been making his presence known. He realized and recognized the fact that he wasn't going to be around for much longer. He was going to be journeying soon to Rome. He would ultimately uh, spend a few years there before losing his life on behalf of Christ. But nonetheless, he's preparing to leave. And he's preaching this final message. He's sharing truths. He's opening the word of God and of course, we see a young man now sitting, the Bible tells us, in a window. He, he falls asleep, and he falls out three stories to his death. He was up there pretty high. And, you know, we would normally consider three stories about 30 feet. And so he fell probably anywhere from 20 to 30 feet at least, we'll say, I mean, minimum. And so here he is now at the bottom. He's dead. He's the life out of him. The apostle, of course, is endowed with a number of gifts, says just like many of the apostles were. And realize that in those days, prior to the word of God being completed, canonized, before it was bound as we understand it and know it, God had given great authority and power to the, uh, to the, um, uh, the, the disciples. This four is driving me nuts, by the way, brother. We've got to do something about it. But um, just throw that out there so that we don't forget to do something about it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> you hear it, John? driving you nuts, isn't it? It's driving me crazy. Will you come here, John, and lay your coat down so I can walk on it? And it... No? Okay, John's not willing to give his coat up for me. But anyway, um, <clears throat> you should give your cloak also. But nonetheless, um... <laughs> so nonetheless, we find here that these men, these apostles, uh, had great power, great authority, and they were able to do great things. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul uh, I mean, he was able to heal. And we find later on even uh, that he healed a number of other people along the way. And in this particular case, we see him literally raising this young man from the dead. I mean, that's an amazing feat. That's something that God alone can do. And Paul never took credit for it. He gave God the glory for it without a doubt. But the fact is, is that, is that in that day, prior to the, the Bible being canonized, prior to it being completed, as we understand it in the, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians 13, the, the fact was is that he gave them these powers, these abilities, for the express purpose of extending authority to say, these are my men. These, what they say, listen to them. What they're teaching is from heaven. This is not their idea. It's not their, their message. It's not their story. It's my story. And so, you know, they were given these unbelievable opportunities and abilities. And so Paul descends upon this young man and he revives him. And boy, it's a great miracle. And the congregation, the Bible says, not a little comforted. They're a lot comforted. They're amazed. I mean, especially, can you imagine mom? I mean, here this young man is. He falls to his death. She's just beside herself with grief. The apostle Paul goes down there and, 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 and raises him from the dead. Can you imagine how mom felt that day? How elated she was, how excited she was. And the whole congregation was thrilled to death. And he just continues preaching that. He goes back to what he was doing. All right, guys, excitement's over. Let's get back to business. And so he begins to preach again into the wee hours of the night. And he finally finishes in the daybreak. And um, it's just amazing, this passage, this particular incident. Paul raises this young man from the dead. Now, how is it that Eutychus fell out of the window? Someone says, well, he fell asleep. Yeah, I know that, but how did he fall to his death? You know, that, that's the real issue. He obviously was leaning more out of the window than in. Because he fell out. 
whatever direction that you're leaning, that's the direction you're going to fall. He was obviously leaning out and that's where he ended up. Let me ask you this morning, which way are you leaning? Which way are you leaning? Are you leaning toward God or are you leaning away from Him? Are you in or out with God today? You know, it'd probably be a better question to ask your wife or your husband. It'd probably be a better question to ask your mom or your dad that question. It'd probably be a better question to ask maybe a, a, a grandparent or, grand, uh, uh, or possibly a relative. It might be a better question to ask your boss at work. Which way is he or she leaning? Toward God or away from God, from your perspective? That's a good question though, isn't it? Which way are you leaning this morning? See, the way you're leaning will determine which way you fall, if indeed you do. And I know we're not just talking about falling in the sense of into sin. We're talking about just stumbling along life's path. Because let's face it, there's a lot of obstacles that we face as believers in the Christian life. A tree's going to fall to whichever side that it's leaning. Whichever side the bulk of the weight is on, that's the side that the tree's going to fall. You can notch a tree and you can try to direct its path. You can try to get it to fall a certain way. But if it's leaning enough, you better cut some limbs off before you take it down. I decided to cut a tree down in my front yard once. Now again, I, I, I'd, I'd had, I had a number of trees. I had trees all over the yard uh, when we first moved into the house that we're at. There were trees everywhere. And I did a tree cleansing for a couple of years. I, I mean, I was going through just cutting everything down I could. I, I wanted to see some sunshine. I wanted to see the, the sky. And... Um, so I started cleansing my yard. I started going through and cutting anything down that, that was wood. And uh, I have some really big trees out front, and I had a number of other larger trees up front, maybe not quite as big, and had a bunch of them in the back, and boy, just a, a whole bunch of stuff. So I decided I'm going to cut this particular tree down. It was the largest tree I'd ever cut down at this time. It, it was really big. It was out by the road, actually. And, um, you know, I had cut down a, a couple, couple trees. I mean, I'm probably talking, you know, Ten trees or something. I mean, I've been at it, you know. I've been going crazy. And so I kind of thought I had it figured out a little bit. But uh, this one was probably the most challenging one to date. And I began cutting this tree down. And I was going pretty good. And all of a sudden, while I'm, I'm cutting it down, it starts, it, it starts to fall toward, um, it starts to fall toward the road. And, and when it did, it, 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 it locked up my, 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 my saw. And I was freaking out because I'm going to be honest with you, it would have felt across the road. It, it had taken out power lines. It was not good, okay? It was not a good situation. I thought I could get it to drop, you know, you know, I was really good, right? So I get it to drop. My wife, she's always like, oh, you don't want to cut that down. You don't want to cut any tree down, Mark. Come on, let's have somebody do that. Nah, I got this. I got this. And boy, I'll tell you what, man. I mean, I was cutting it down and I'd notched it to the side I wanted it to fall on. I'm cutting along and all of a sudden... It's going the wrong way, folks. Remember, because if it was going the side it was notched, it wouldn't have locked up my blade. So it was going the wrong way. It was going toward the street, going toward those lines. And I freaked out. I was like, oh, no, man, I got to do something. So I'm, I'm like going crazy. So, so I, I, get, I get the neighbor. I got to run to the neighbor's house. You know, and I'm like, hey, listen, listen. I, I, I said, Sherry, just don't let nobody drive by. You know, don't let anybody come. I mean, if this tree falls, it's going to fall on the road. It's going to take out lines. It's going to destroy something and somebody, you know. 
Come on, I'm freaking out, right? So I run to the neighbor's house. I'm like, you got a chainsaw I can use? And, and at that time, was, uh, she, she, she was attending our church and she said, she said, oh, oh yeah, my, my husband's got one. I said, great. Can I use it? She said, yeah, you can use it. Why? What's going on? I said, can I use it? And so I, I grabbed it and I, I ran back. That's not something you want to share with somebody when you think you're a real lumberjack and you're not. So I get this, I get this thing, you know, and I, I run over to the tree, you know, and I start trying to start it up. She comes across the street now. She's watching this thing. And so, so, um, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm really kind of nervous, obviously. And so um, I, I, get, I get that thing over there and I decide, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I thought, you know what, um, I need to top this tree out. I'm going to have to top the tree out because if I don't top the tree out, it's going to fall in the road, you know. The weight's just too lean. It's leaning way too far. I miscalculated. So I get my 16-foot ladder out and I put it up against the tree. And so I climb up this tree, up the top of my ladder, and I get this spot, and I'm hanging over, and I'm, I'm, I'm notching out to one side, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll drop this. It'll drop in between the lines and the, the yard over here. And, and so I'm cutting, you know, and all of a sudden, it kicked this way, and the other one went the other way. So it was like kind of like one's going one direction, the other one's going the other direction now. And I thought it was going to kick back on me. Well, I'm up in the air. I mean, I'm really up there. When it kicked, out, when it kicked back, when it kicked back, I came off that sucker. I mean, I'm hanging there by one limb, and I'm holding the chalk. Have you ever been there? It's not a fun place to be. And, and, and here's the thing. I forgot to tell you this part. I forgot to tell you that when I, when I finally realized when it was going to fall the wrong way, I got to thinking, you know what? I probably should have roped that off. I should have probably got a big old rope or something just to make sure that it didn't fall the wrong way, put a little pressure on it, so pull it right. You know, the right. I thought I should have done that. And I, I forgot that part. Let me just tell you how that went. So what happened was when I did tie that tree off at first before I topped it off, I went ahead and had my wife and that other lady holding on to that rope, pulling down on it. When I got up on that tree, when I got up on that tree and I started to top it out and it kicked both ways, that rope went tight. They went shooting up in the air holding onto the rope. I come off and I'm like, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, help, help, you know, and they're hanging there. So they have to let go and fall to the ground. And then they come over, they get the ladder now. They set it back up on the tree the best they can with hopefully it doesn't come crashing down on them. I climb back up and I finally, I, I, I finished the job, get that thing to drop. Whew, boy, is that... And I realized at that point, my wife said, you will never cut another tree down ever. Don't tell her, but I have. But anyway, the, the fact is, is that it didn't matter how much thought I put into it. It didn't matter how much of an expert I thought I was. The fact was, is the side it was leaning on is the side it was going. Because whichever side it's leaning is the side it's going to fall. <sighs> what a mess. You know what? That's how it is in us, our lives. That tree is going to fall whatever side it's leaning. It won't defy gravity. And you know what? Neither will we. Neither will we. Someone says, you know what? I, I'm never going to fall, though. I'm never going to fall. I, I'll never mess up. I'll never stumble. I'll never have a, a hiccup in the giddy-up. You hear that? You like that? That was inspired. Let me tell you something. I was 28 years old. I was, uh, that's just been a few years ago. I was 28 years old, and I was um, driving a van for the, the, the church, and, and I, we picked up people every week, and uh, usually we picked them up three times a week. We, we picked all of our people up for every service. But anyway, uh, 
I, I remember it was a Wednesday night. We'd driven the van and had picked up some people, and we were getting ready to leave that night, and it was a cold night. It was a bitter cold night, and it was icy and it was slick. And, and you know, I'm, I was pretty sure-footed at the age of 28. You know, I was stronger and bigger and better than life itself, you know. And, and uh, I remember, uh, you know, some of the folks were ready to leave, and I thought, well, I'm going to go get the van. And I, I went out the back door of the church, and the van was sitting out in the parking lot. It was a paid parking lot. And I took off running like I always did. I mean, I just took off running. When I took off running, I hit a patch. I hit a patch of black ice. When I hit that black ice, let me tell you something. I mean to tell you, my feet came straight out from underneath me, and I came down on my neck and back, just like that. I don't know for sure. I don't doubt for a minute. I, I, I was so shook up. I think I might have been knocked out. Uh, I really do. I think I might have been out cold for just a split second. You ever been knocked out real quick, and then you, you kind of pop up? You, you're kind of like disoriented. You don't know exactly what's going on. Except in this case, I felt so much pain I couldn't stand it. But uh, here I was on my back, looking up into the night sky. I mean, just excruciating pain. Um, I feel that to this day. I still feel that to this day sometimes. I'm not joking. I, I can't explain it, but boy, that hurt so bad. I went down. I didn't think I'd ever go down like that. I've watched and heard about other people falling like that, and I thought, yeah, but you know what? I'm 28 years old, man. I'm an athlete. I still am. But anyway, I, 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 you know... I hit the deck so hard, though, I still remember it. I didn't think I'd fall either. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know what? None of us are, are, are exempt from this. You've got to be careful here. Most Christians are going to be blindsided at some point in their life. I mean, their health's going to get them down. Finances may trip them up. A relationship may discourage them, causing them to hit bottom. Those are just things that happen in life. It happens to you. It happens to me. It happens to all of us. Somehow, some way, the devil's always fighting. He's always battling. I wonder if those difficult times are going to cause you to draw ever closer to the master or if they're going to cause you to become bitter and fall away from him. I mean, are you going to accuse God or are you going to embrace him? Are you going to fall into his arms or out of his will? Will you fall in or out? That's a good question, isn't it? The Bible speaking here says that there are a number of lights in the upper chamber. You know, what I see basically is the lights were on, but nobody was home that day. Eutychus was sitting there in that window and he was... I don't, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if he had a long night the night before. I don't know if he was tired. I don't know if he was feeling ill. I'm not sure what the circumstance was exactly. But what I do know is, is that somehow, someway, he probably wasn't really engaged in that message like he ought to have been. He wasn't as focused as he probably should have been. And instead, he was leaning out the window. He might have been trying to catch a breath of fresh air. I don't know. But all I know is that he was leaning the wrong way. And when he fell asleep and when he started to fall, he fell out the window instead of in. And may I say in our Christian life, you got to be careful because, you know, the fact is, is that we can all, we're all leaning one way or the other. We're all leaning toward God or we're leaning away from God. You know, the Christian life is not one of these lives that we live in neutral. We either live it in drive or we live it in reverse. You don't live it in neutral. People say, well, I'm not really all in. I'm not really all out. I'm kind of in the middle. You mean you're on the fence? No, that's not how you live the Christian life. You don't live it on the fence. You don't live it running down the middle. You run it, you live it either 
in drive or you live it in reverse. You're either going forward or you're going backward. You're either in or you're out. That's how you live the Christian life. This morning, I want to give you three ways to tell which way you're leaning. Three ways to tell which way you're leaning. Number one, if you don't look forward to church, you're leaning out. You're leaning out. Okay? Pretty simple. I didn't say it was going to be profound. I didn't say it was going to be the deepest message you ever heard in your life. But I wanted to be practical. In the book of Ephesians, turn there if you would please. Ephesians 4 verse 11. You know, believers are good, you know, especially those that want to fall on liberty, you know, and talk about how they have a right to live however they want to live and do whatever they want to do. They're saved by the grace and therefore God's not as concerned about how they live as he is that they're just their heart's good. Well, we're talking about heart right now. So we ought to all be really engaged here. See, we're talking about attitude. We're talking about desire now. I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I think God starts with the heart. I think the heart ultimately affects the the attitude and the actions. But it does start in the heart. And you know what? When you want to be in God's house, that that expresses an attitude. That expresses a heartfelt attitude. Someone says, well, I don't think I need to be in church to be right with God. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that the Bible is pretty clear that it's important that we're there. But the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, the passage addresses the need for edification of the believer. Every believer needs edified. Every believer needs encouraged. That's what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, perfecting has to do with maturity here in the passage. And in order for you and I to be mature in Christ, to be growing in the Lord, we need God in the local church. That's all there is to it. No believer can truly grow in grace and be established in the faith without the aid of the gifts that God has given the church. And they're exclusively found in the local church. This is where God gave them. He gave them to the church. Now, where they preach, where they go, what they do is is out of the authority of the local church. We find these gifts here. We need them. We must have them. And you know what? Recognizing the great need of the church and everything about it in our lives should not only kind of make us obedient to attending church, but it ought to make us anxious to do so. To realize that when we go there, we're going there to be encouraged. We're going there to be exhorted. We're going there to be built up. We're going there to become better for God. It ought to make us desire. We ought to have a longing to be in God's house. We ought to have a desire to be in God's house. It shouldn't be, I've got to go to church today. It should be, I want to go and I can't wait to get there. As we draw closer to the return of Jesus Christ, it's going to become more and more difficult to remain focused and faithful. And for that reason, the church is going to prove more needful than ever in our lives. In the book of Hebrews, turn there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. In this particular passage, we read, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Obviously, there were some that were forsaking the assembling of themselves. <laughs> but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Before we can really fully, really wrap our minds around that verse, look at verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Do you know what I try to teach my singles in the class? 
I haven't, talk, I haven't talked about it lately, but for instance, we went on an activity yesterday. And uh, last evening, our, our singles went on an activity, went ice skating, had a great time. I try to encourage the singles to understand that you don't just go on activities for yourself. You go on activities for the others. See, when John goes to that activity, we have a good time watching John fall on the ice. <laughs> and John fell on the ice. But not only did John fall on the ice, but Jake fell on the ice. Jake was scooting around the corner, and I mean to tell you, he was moving. And they were trying to play this where they can cut real fast stuff. And he cut all right, but he didn't go that way. He went straight into a wall. <clears throat> and, and we all sat, I, me and Wendy were sitting there watching. We were laughing. We were <laughs> Not because, you know, he was okay, I think. But anyway, uh, we just thought it was hilarious. It looked great, you know. And we had a good time. But listen, when someone's missing, though, from the activity, it affects us. We all go, where's so-and-so? makes us feel bad. What, is something wrong with us? They didn't want to be with us? They, they, they don't want to fellowship with us? Or when they're there, we say, man, they're fun to be with. Man, I'm sure glad they showed up. See, what we learn is that we are to, as the Bible says in verse 24, it says, consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The fact is, is that sometimes I do things in my Christian life, go places and talk to people and do things I don't really want to do. Why? Because I need to abide by verse 24. I need to consider other people. I need to provoke them to love and to good works. And that's what we try to encourage our singles to do. And that's what every member of Community Baptist Temple ought to do. You don't just do what you do for you. You do it for everybody. I come to church, and when I get here now, the goal is that we all provoke one another to love and to good works. Some of you ladies don't realize how excited I am to see you today. It made my day to note that folks made it out that I never dreamed would have come out on a day like this. It says, man, God is good. I'm encouraged by that. I've been provoked to good works even. I think, man, I've got to keep going. I can't let things stand between me and getting what God, uh, what, get done what God wants done then. If they don't, I know I can't. I've been provoked. I've been encouraged. And then we come, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you teach the day approaching. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we're going to need each other. The more we're going to need encouraged by one another. The more we're going to need provoked to good works by one another. So which way are you leaning? Well, the fact is, is If you don't look forward to church, you're probably leaning out. Because everything about church is good for you. It's needful. Let's move quickly. If you don't look forward to spending time alone with just you and God, you're leaning out. You notice I didn't say, if you, just, you notice what I didn't say. I didn't say, if you don't look forward to reading your Bible and praying. I didn't say that, did I? There's a reason why I didn't say that. Because you can read your Bible and pray and never one time be in the presence of God. Do you realize that? That's so important to understand as a believer. That the goal is not to get your Bible reading done. The goal is to be in the presence of God. The goal is Him. He's always the goal. It's not preaching a sermon. It's not even going soul winning. The goal is not accomplishing something great for God. The goal is to be in His presence. The goal is to have a walk and a relationship with the Master, the King, the Creator. That's the goal. Everything else is an outpouring, an outworking of it all. We do what we do because of our walk and our relationship with God. Otherwise, things start to fall or crumble in certain areas of our life. It will affect our, our obedience 
Man, our walk has to be dependent on Him and our relationship with Him. Yes, do you look forward to the perfect Word of God? To read it, to study it, to memorize it. See, if we're just reading it, that's not really what God wants for us. He wants us to really digest it. He wants us to take it in. He doesn't want to, to just us get into the Word. He wants the Word to get into us. That doesn't happen until we're really in His presence and we're opening our heart and our life to Him. The psalmist said, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. And the psalmist loved the word of God. He longed to read it. Not just because it was a book that had words on page, on a page. He loved it because it was a manifestation of his God. And when I read the word of God, I know who I'm holding in my hand. I know what I'm holding in my hand. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I read it, it's, it's, I'm allowing it into my life. I'm allowing him in my life even more than ever. I know I'm saved. I know He's indwelling me. I understand that. But man, I'm yielding to Him. I'm allowing Him to direct me, guide me, to, to, to as you say, guide our steps. If you don't love the Word of God, you're probably leaning out. Do you look forward to that prayer closet? Again, not just because you get to go through a list of 25 things. Everybody's always like, can you add this to your list? Can you add this to your list? Can you add this to your list? Pretty soon your list is like, and you're thinking there is no way in the world. Pray for everything? Pray for everything intelligently? Man, it gets consuming. It gets overwhelming at times. But the goal is not just to get through the prayer list. Before you ever get to the prayer list, you need to get to God. You get in His presence and then all of a sudden then it doesn't take as long because He's there. You don't have to keep asking Him over and over again for things while you're in His presence. Oh, you'll come back the next day and ask for the same thing maybe. That's fine. But when you're there, you know He heard you the first time because you're right there in His ear. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what? When we get in the Word, we're getting in His presence. I mean, when we get in it, when we really allow it to filter into our lives. When we get into the prayer closet, you know, that closet represents something. I mean, have you ever seen a closet? You say, of course I've seen a closet. Let me ask you, what do you see in a closet? You say coats and shoes and things that are packed in there. Okay, let's empty it for a minute. What do you see in a closet? You say, oh, I see a hanging rack or something like that. Okay, let's take that out too. What's in the closet? Walls. Yeah, think about that. Close the door. What's in the closet? Nothing. Do you know there's no windows so you can be distracted? Can't look out, see anybody, see anything? The, the idea of the prayer closet is that you're all alone with only one other, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. You know, we take so many things into the prayer closet with us. Lists that we have to take care of the rest of the day. Things that we need to do that afternoon. We take our cares, our concerns, our worries often. before. And we, be, I mean, even after we've, con, we've spoken, we've asked the Lord to forgive us, or we've sought God's face to help us to overcome obstacles in our life, we, we never really get to God because we're so consumed with our, our life. We're so consumed with our activity. We're so consumed with our job and our relationships and everything going on. We're really not in a closet at all. Everything has a window. And we're looking through it and we're going, man, I've got to get that done. I've got to get that done. I've got to take care of this business. I've got to do that. And as we're praying, those things are flying in our mind constantly. And we wonder why we'd never really walk out into the world without the weight of the world on our shoulders. 
We've got to get in the presence of God through prayer. Prayer takes us into the presence of God. More than anything else in the world, we ought to be on. The, the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be our goal. He ought to be our goal. So, you don't look forward to church. You're leaning out. You don't look forward to spending time alone with just you and God. Then, you know what? You're probably leaning out. And finally, if you don't cultivate Bible-friendly relationships, you're leaning out. Now, I use the word Bible. I could have used scriptural friendly relationships. What I mean by that is as you go through the Word of God, He defines what kind of friends you ought to have in the world. The Bible tells you how, what kind of friends you ought to have in your life. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 13, 20, the Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. That's huge. It's important. You know, as, as folks that are a little bit more up in years like myself, we look on a lot of times at young people and we think, you know what will determine their future more than anything else? And you would all probably say the same thing. They're friends. We say that. Do you realize that who their friends are today is who they'll be a year from now? You realize that? They become who they hang around. Don't think for a minute that as adults, we're not as equally influenced by people. We sometimes think, well, I can handle it. I'm older. I'm more mature. I can deal with it. I know where I stand. I got it handled. But let me tell you something. You, you go ahead and enter into relationships with the, those that are not on the same spiritual plane that you are. I'm not talking about, are they just saved? You know what? One of the biggest mistakes that young people make and even adults will make when it comes to, adults make when it comes to this relationship with ladies and gentlemen is that they say things like, well, I, the, the only thing really, I have to make sure they're saved. No, that is the, that, that, that may be true, but that only goes halfway. Just that they're saved is not, that's not the end all here. We want people of like faith. We want folks that have like interests. We want others that want to do the same things we want to do and live the same life we want to live. We need those that, how can two uh, walk together except they be agreed here? You got one that says, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't mind drinking and going to bars and doing things like that because I don't think that's what's important to God. And then you're over here going, but I go to church three times a week and I believe in soul winning and I think it's important that you live a separate, holy, sanctified life in Christ. Let me tell you something. You are not equally yoked there. I don't care if they're on their way to heaven or not. You're not equally yoked. I remember when I was, um, uh, you know, a younger uh, fella, and I was I was going to some churches from, t- you know, in, and I was I, I would go to these um, revival meetings, you know, every once in a while. And some of the guys from the church would get together, and we'd all go to revival meeting. And I remember thinking this. I remember thinking this. When I get older, the girl I marry, I want her to want to go to revival meetings as much as I do so that that would be a means of enjoyment. We, we'd go out to, going out on the town would be going to a revival meeting. That, that's what, I used to think that. I was, I was young, of course. I, I was 14, 15 years old. I'd think, when I, when I find this girl, I want her to say, hey, you want to go out tonight? We're going to a revival meeting. Yes. You say, that's stupid. No, because I wanted somebody that loved the things I love. I wanted them to love Christ like I love Christ. I wanted them to want to go to church like I wanted to go to church. That I thought was important. You know, we don't, you know, you got to think about that stuff. If you have the wrong kind of influence in your life, if, you have, if your best friend doesn't like church, doesn't think it's important, let me tell you something, you better be real careful because you might be leaning out. And when bad times come in your life, because that... Oh, listen, you can say whatever you want, but if it's, they're a true friend, they have influence in your life. True friends have influence. 
Now, if they're an acquaintance, that's one thing. I understand that stuff. You're trying to win them to Christ. You're trying to get them to come to church, things like that. You take steps to try to help establish a relationship for the purpose of witnessing and ultimately encouraging them in the things of the Lord. Hey, I understand all that, and that's important. But I'm talking about your friends, those that you would confide in, those that you would walk with hand in hand, those that you would truly share your heart with. They have influence in your life. And the Bible's very clear that you have to be careful who you cultivate these relationships with. It better be a, a friend that God says is a good friend to a believer. Otherwise, let me tell you something, you're leaning out. And when difficult times come in your life, you may be surprised which way you fall. Psalm 1, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Turn there real quick. We're, we're virtually on the, the cusp of conclusion here. We're right there. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. What a wonderful passage this is. In chapter 1 of the book of Psalms, verse 1 through 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law of the Lord, and in the law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Well, I'll tell you what, blessed or happy is that man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, don't take advice from those that aren't in the faith, living according to the Word of God. Be careful with that. You know, we used to say things years ago. I remember in church they used to say things, don't ever enter a financial partnership with somebody that's lost. They used to say that, you know. Why? Because they're saying you're, you're, you're yoking together. Don't be unequally yoked together. Because the attitude of a lost man toward money and the things of the world is different than a, the, the, the attitude of a saved man concerning money and the things of the world. You're, gonna, you're ultimately going to clash. Sooner or later, something's going to go, well, we're good friends. It's going to be fine. Be careful. Well, I used to hear that all the time. And let me tell you something. I think there's good, that's good advice. With your relationship with your Husband or wife, that's, that's tremendous advice. Boyfriend and girlfriends, that's tremendous advice. But your friends too. Your friends. Young men, young ladies in here, if you start to get a little bit less concerned about your purity, less concerned about your separation from the world, and you start to embrace friends that don't care about those things, it won't be long probably you're going to fall out. You just be careful because your friends will determine which way you're leaning often. Be careful. Eutychus was leaning out. Where did he fall? To his demise. You know what? Unfortunately, if we're not careful, we can too. But we have Paul and we have others who sought him and brought him back to life. And thank God for the church. For folks that say, hey, you're leaning. Let me help you a little bit. Let me encourage you some. You've fallen, and even maybe out. Let me encourage you. Let me pick you back up. Restoring brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a blessing, and that ought to be something that we are very serious about. I trust you'll always believe and understand there's somebody that wants to pick you up if you fall out. But I implore you, beg you, examine your salvation, whether you be in the faith. Make sure that you're not leaning out as a believer then. So that if you do trip up, if you do get blindsided, you don't fall out of the will of God. You still fall into His arms. That's so important. 
Which way are you leaning? Maybe you're lost today without Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never personally put your faith in the Lord as your Savior and Lord. What I mean by that is, it's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to say, I have totally and completely trusted the Lord Jesus who died on the cross with my sin and my soul. Only He can forgive me. Only He can wash my sin away. Only He can take me to heaven. There's nothing I could ever do. There's no good deed. There's no effort I could put forth. There's no amount of money that I could give to the church that would ever make up or pay for my sin. Only Jesus can forgive me and save me. And boy, when you come to Christ, the reason why we can have hope of eternal life is because our hope has never been in ourselves or our actions or our attitudes or what we do after we're saved. It's always been in only Christ and Him alone. And He never fails. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe you've never put your total, complete faith in the Lord Jesus. You've said, oh, I trust the Lord, but I also trust in how my life and what I'm doing. And as long as I keep living right, I'll go to heaven. No, if you're trusting anything to get to heaven but Him, then you're trusting in the wrong thing, friend. Settle it. Trust in Christ today. But if you're already a believer... Which way are you leaning? Do you love being in God's house? Do you love being in God's word and in prayer and in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you enjoy good godly friends that have the same focus, desire, longing for Christ that you have? Those are all indications that you're leaning the right way. And if you would trip up, you'd fall into his arms and not out of his will. God help us to be leaning the right way. Father, we come.